Because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Today's show is going to be a little bit different than the last several shows. We usually have a panel talking about current issues in energy. Today, I want to share a presentation I gave a couple months ago that relates to how to talk about energy issues. And specifically, it's about a concept that I call arguing to 100, which I've found to be one of the most powerful ideas I've ever discovered or heard of in communication. And I devoted a whole speech to this in Colorado a couple months ago, and the attendees found it very helpful. So I thought it'd be helpful to the audience as well. Now, this this speech is specifically about Colorado issues, but I think as you'll see, the principles involved are universal, even beyond energy issues. And certainly what I discuss with Colorado can be discussed or can be applied to almost any specific energy situation you might find yourself in. So I hope you enjoy this speech. And then at the end, I will men- at the end of the speech, I mention certain resources. So if you're interested in those, just you can just email me at alex at industrialprogress.net and give me the subject PH resources, PH resources. And I'll also mention a way that uh, if, if you happen to work for an organization that wants help with this, you can just write me same address, alex at industrialprogress.net and write argue to 100. Okay. Enjoy. And I'll be back with you on the other side. Thanks. On a scale of negative five to five, how good is the oil and gas industry at winning the hearts and minds of Coloradans? So on a scale, sorry, just one tiny technical thing here. On a scale of negative five to five, how good is the oil and gas industry at winning the hearts and minds of Coloradans? So first of all, why negative five to five? Um, A lot of my life is involved in persuasion, whether it's uh, me trying to persuade other people of my ideas or me working with different companies to help people persuade people of their ideas, which I only do, by the way, if if I agree with the company's ideas. Um, But I'm thinking a lot about how to persuade people, and I found it useful to rank it on a scale of negative 5 to 5, because if we just go 1 to 10, it just implies, well, anything we do is good. Whereas negative five to five recognizes the reality of communication, which is sometimes we accomplish nothing, which is zero, and then sometimes we make things much worse, which would be negative five. So what I want to do is I'm going to count down from five. So five would be like you're the Steve Jobs of persuasion, and zero would be nothing, and negative five would be like the BP after the oil spill. And just where do you feel the industry ranks? And if you have a positive answer, that's great. And if you have a neutral or negative answer, that's okay too. I'm just curious where people are. Um, All right, five, four, three, two, good, one. I need to clap for one. (laughs) Zero. So zero means that everything has amounted to nothing, which is interesting, which is worth pausing on, because a lot of smart, hardworking people are involved in, in doing this. Um, so it's really obviously a really hard thing to do. Okay, now we're going to get to worse 
than nothing. Negative 1. Negative 2. Negative 3. Negative 4. Negative 5. Okay, so there's at least room for improvement. I think most people agree on that. And that's a good thing. Um, you know, that's, that's the reason I'm, I'm here. So I, someone came up to me in advance of the speech and said something to the effect of, oh, like, you know, like you, I was watched me preparing and thought, oh, like you haven't done this 250 times. And that's in a sense true. I've spoken to I don't know how many hundreds uh, of groups, but every group is different. And with this, this group in particular and this topic in particular, my rough estimate is I probably spent more time preparing for today than I have for my last eight speeches combined. And the reason for that is that I'm very excited uh, by the opportunity to talk about these issues at this point in time. Because often when an issue comes up or a company brings up an issue, it's something where you know, they've got a billion dollar lawsuit. And they'll say, like, oh, help us with the messaging on the lawsuit. Or there's some urgent investor relations thing, and they want help with that. And it's very rare that there's an opportunity to be proactive. And when Chase and Sally came to me and said, hey, we're interested in having you talk, the focus was really a proactive one. How do we learn from what happened in 112? What can we do? What can you tell us about what we can do going forward? And now we have over a year and a half to prepare. And as somebody who was watching from Southern California and felt like I didn't do nearly enough to help the Colorado situation, uh, it's exciting to be able to, um, to talk about it. And so a lot of what I'm going to share, even if you've seen me speak before, before, uh, a lot of this you haven't heard because I, I haven't said it before. So just a little bit of background. Um, some of you may have seen this. It's just like you probably have heard. I'm a big enthusiast of fossil fuels. I love fossil fuels. I have this pin. Uh, but I don't only really, am at that point. I'm at the point where I, I like bringing the I love fossil fuels message to everyone, including environmentalist rallies. So this is a, a clip of me at the People's Climate March which is the biggest anti-fossil fuel march in history. Do you hear what they're saying? Hey, hey, ho, ho, fossil fuels have got to go. I have a very different opinion on the matter. Uh, let's, go, let's go see if we can engage. Can we just go stand in the middle? So you might be wondering uh, what happened. It was, it was pretty interesting. We don't have time to show you like the hour of footage now, but uh, this is a good uh, reminder for me. There are cards at your desk that basically say something like, get Alex Epstein's resources. And the goal of this is going to, I want you to put your email on there so I can send you a whole bunch of resources, including these videos, but also including a lot of things that will help you apply the ideas I talk about today and also help you share them with people who weren't um, there. So. People are often asking, when I'm doing this kind of thing, why are you doing this? It's a very unusual thing to do. And sometimes people think, oh, you must have been paid by the industry to do it. And I didn't even know anyone in the industry when I started with the I love fossil fuels, moral case for fossil fuels message. And I don't have any 
historical background. I didn't grow up in a pro-fossil fuel area. I grew up in a place called, uh, well, right near Washington, D.C., called Chevy Chase, Maryland, which is, as you might know, not pro-fossil fuels at all. I went to Duke University, and I learned nothing positive about fossil fuels. And certainly, I have no family or anything like that. I'm not, like, from the Hunt family or something. The, the Epstein family has no history in, uh, in energy. May hopefully a future in energy now that I, now that I think about it. Um, but actually, the, the way I came to this seems like a really unusual way, which is through my favorite subject. Um, and this is what I decided that I wanted my career to be when I was 20. And I, I told my advisor at Duke, I was in computer science, and I said, hey, I'm, I don't want to be involved in software anymore. In fact, I never want to code again. Instead, I want to be a philosopher. And this is not considered a good career choice, because <laughs> who needs a philosopher? Whenever, who has a problem in life and says, oh, let's hire a philosopher? It doesn't happen. But I, I actually think it, it should happen. And I tried to explain this to my senator in California, Barbara Boxer, when I was testifying in front of the Senate. And she thought that you don't need a philosopher. So I thought I'd share this one. Mr. Epstein, are you a scientist? No, philosopher. You're a philosopher? Yes. OK. Well, this is the Environment and Public Works Committee. I think it's interesting we have a philosopher here talking about an issue. It's to teach you how to think more clearly. Well, you don't have to teach me how to think more clearly. You don't have to try running. That was not planned, but that really occurred to me. That's why I think I am in the world, is to help teach people uh, to think more clearly. And the very short version of my journey with uh, fossil fuels or hydrocarbons, is that about, about 11 and a half years ago now, I realized, uh, sort of randomly researching a different project, that energy was much more important than I thought because energy was the industry that powered every other industry. And that made me really interested in the question of how clearly are we thinking about energy issues? Because if we make good choices in energy, everything gets better. And if we make bad choices in energy, everything gets worse. And I pretty quickly concluded that I, I totally disagreed with the way most people were thinking about energy, and in particular, the way people were evaluating fossil fuels and also nuclear power was just, I thought, very deeply wrong and was leading to a whole bunch of, of bad decisions. So I started thinking about it myself and then communicating with people. And over what I found pretty quickly was I had a way of communicating it to people that were persuading a lot of people who hadn't been persuaded by the conventional industry ads and whatever they had been exposed to. And so that was interesting to me, because I didn't really know what I was doing. I could just see I was getting certain results. And then that got me really interested in persuasion. And then I started studying some of the great persuaders, not in oil and gas, because there really aren't any, or there weren't any, <laughs> but studying the great persuaders in other fields and seeing what was transferable. And then maybe five years ago, people, companies started getting interested in what I was doing. And then they started asking me, can you help us with our messaging? Can you help train our employees? And then that really got me to start thinking about, OK, what really works and what doesn't? And then I got to see what everyone was doing and what was working and what, what wasn't working. And then I got to try things and then see what worked and what didn't. And so after all of this time, just thinking about it and testing different things, I have a way of thinking about persuasion on energy issues. That really applies to everything, but I'm going to talk about it specifically with energy and specifically in Colorado, which I call, it's a framework I call arguing to 100. And it's, it's a framework, but I think it's something that's, that you can use even just based on the next half hour. 
in a very practical way in any area of your life, but certainly talking about these kinds of issues. So what I'm going to talk about today, is the basic agenda is this, this framework, which is arguing to 100, and the other part of it is versus arguing to zero, you'll see. So I'm going to talk about that overall, what that is, how it works, and then I'm going to tell you basically how do you do step one, and then how do you do step two, and the whole way through I'm going to really focus on oil and gas in general, and then Colorado in particular, and give you some specific examples and tactics. So that is our agenda. This, is, this presentation probably has more slides than any presentation I've ever had, so I'm going to go through things quickly, but I think you'll see it, it'll be helpful because the, there's a visual to the framework that makes it a lot easier to get. So first question, what is arguing to 100? And you'll also see there's negative 100 versus arguing to zero. And the, the summary of it seems simple, but every, every word of this is there for a reason. So arguing to 100 is arguing that a certain course of action is the best way of achieving an inspiring good and avoiding a dreadful evil. So it's arguing that a certain course of action is the best way of achieving an inspiring good and avoiding a dreadful evil. And there are going to be these two steps. So one is you redefine the good and the evil, or as I'll call them, the 100 and the negative 100. And then step two is argue superiority. So I'm going to first go into framing good and evil, what that involves. So my, my, the basic observation that led me to this, looking at lots of persuasion issues in a lot of different fields, is that every, every conversation has a moral framework. So you're going to see, I'm going to represent it as, I'll sometimes do it visually, but in the middle is zero, and then the bad side is negative 100. So that's the lowest evil. That's the, the place people don't want to go. And then 100 is the highest good. And what I noticed is that what great persuaders do is they usually take a debate that has a 100 and a negative 100 that they disagree with, and then they change it. So for example, regardless of level of agreement, if you look at what happened in the 2016 election, what did Donald Trump do? Well, the way I see the debate in America as being framed pre-Trump was that the focus was on equality. So negative 100 was inequality or more inequality, and positive 100 was equality. That was the ideal. And Trump basically came with that hat, which everyone thought was such a stupid hat, you know, make America great again. But that hat was really a reframing. And I, I remember seeing him interviewed early on, and they're asking, hey, what assets do you have? And he says, well, like, we've got our slogan. Like, look at my hat. And I thought, oh, this guy has a 100. Like, it, it's, he knows what he's doing. And you notice he took it from saying, from this inequality equality to saying, no, the focus is not equality. The focus is on what's bad is America's declining. And then... What's positive 100? Make America great again. American greatness. And he was able to tie a whole bunch of things to that. So that's an example in politics. Um, in, you know, in computing, I think if you look at a lot of what Steve Jobs was able to do, the, the discussion of computers before him, it was either unintelligible to people or it was focused on sophistication, like, oh, you want the, you know, the most sophisticated uh, software that's 100 or the least sophisticated software or hardware that's negative 100. And he really reframed it to, no, the evil that we're fighting against is this unusably complex software and hardware that nobody can use. And then what we stand for is this software that empowers everyone, and also hardware, with simplicity and power. Or if you take another great communicator, Martin Luther King, uh, this is an example where 
Um, I'm not 100%, I'm not clear on what the framing was before, but it's definitely like racial injustice was not nearly a big enough issue on people's minds. Um, but he had this very clear framing, particularly in that you know, moral statement about judge, you know, the children judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That is a 100. It's like the thing we do not want to do is judge people by the color of their skin. The thing we do want to do is judge people by the content of their character. So this is what I think great communicators do. And in this, in this group, I would include the green movement in its opposition to fossil fuels. And here's how I think they've reframed it. Before the green movement, a lot of the, the focus on energy was about unavailability or insecurity, that that's the evil we want to avoid. There, particularly in the 70s, when the green movement was starting to get cultural acceptance, there was, you know, there was still a big focus on, are we going to have access to energy? And then we want to be secure. We want to be energy independent, as it's often called. And it really got reframed to, and this, this is the way the Green Movement still portrays it, is that the good, the, the 100, is a completely green or renewable society. And then the negative 100 is a non-green or renewable society, and in particular, negative 100 includes uh, using more fossil fuels or using more nuclear power. That's considered just, that's a toxic, bad direction to go in. So these are examples of how the people who argue to 100, they frame the debate by defining the good and the evil. And it's, I, I shorten it as arguing to 100, but they're always arguing that they, their side is going to 100 and the other side is going to negative 100. So then the second step, and I'm going to go into some depth on how, to, on how we can do this, but just, this is just how it works, is um, what, what, um, it's arguing superiority. So what, once people have framed good and evil, then, then what their argument amounts to is our policy, and often they have a very clear policy, that's an important part of it, our policy is bringing people toward the good, and the bad people's policy is bringing people toward the evil. So if you take the, the same kinds of examples, what was, um, you know, Trump was arguing that, you know, his tax policy is making America great again. He was even able to, if you take, think about people have negative perceptions of coal, he was even able to win over a lot of people just with his portrayal of the coal industry because he put it under American uh, greatness. And he was... No, arguing that all the Democrat policies were bringing us to American decline. It's just more of the problem. And he was, he was able to, you know, have, like, make America wealthy again and make America safe again. Steve Jobs, you know, he, he almost everything that they're doing is talking about how we're, our product empowers the individual with this, these simple, powerful tools, and then their product disempowers the individual with these complex tools. And I don't remember if I don't know if you guys have seen, remember these ads from a little while back, but the Mac and PC, this is an example of arguing to 100 and then arguing the other person to negative 100. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. You know, I've actually just finished a, a home movie. That's so funny, I just finished my own home movie. I, I did it on iMovie, it was really easy. Well, I doubt it's as excellent as mine, but I'd be happy to take a look. Yeah, that would be great. Roll it. Hi, I'm a Mac home movie. That looks really professional, right? Well, great. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. What? What, what about you, Squeezy? Uh, please. Well, okay, sure. What's up? PC home movie. Work in progress? I don't know if that, that ad would fly anymore because of, um, it's not politically correct enough, but uh, it definitely made the point 
at the time. And then if you look at Martin Luther King, you have um, using this kind of framework, this idea of judging people by the color of their skin, not the content of their character, you have things like, okay, the Montgomery bus policy, that's obviously in the wrong direction. And then the Civil Rights Act, he's arguing, is in the right direction. So this is just a common thing over and over. And one thing to take away from today, I hope, is just looking for who's arguing to 100, who's defining what's 100, negative 100, and then who's arguing that their policy is the best, including they have a clear policy. Now let's talk about what bad persuaders do. And unfortunately, uh, I would put the fossil fuel industry in this at least historically. So what the way let's let's do this with the um, example of shale energy. So the way the debate was framed before Josh Fox came along, and Josh Fox with Gasland was really the person who pioneered the discussion on this issue, the way it was framed was 100 is green and negative 100 is more fossil fuels. So he's starting out with that advantage. And basically what he said in Gasland and what activists have said since is, okay, well, so we have this new thing called fracking. And so that's, that involves using more fossil fuels. So we know that's bad. And on top of that, it's contaminating the groundwater and it's causing these earthquakes and it's leading to these cancer clusters. And so how does the industry respond? Well, it, it seemingly makes sense. They say, well, no, you're, you're lying about the cancer clusters and you're exaggerating about the earthquakes and you're, mo you're lying about the groundwater. So on this approach, what's the best case scenario? Zero, so I call this arguing to zero. This is arguing up to zero, but it goes the other direction too. So let's take something that's in the news. We have, uh, there, there's different policies for mandating different green energy in different forms or subsidizing. So today there's a big discussion about the Green New Deal by the Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And what's she arguing? Well, this is bringing us to the green society. And notice that almost nobody has protested this as an ideal. They'll say, oh, she's stupid. She used to be a bartender, et cetera, et cetera. But everyone's saying, yeah, of course, this is the direction we want to go. Of course, yeah, we do want it to be green. Maybe your plan, it includes no flying. Like, hopefully, people have some issue with that. But um, it's, it's still viewed as the idea. And the same thing is true with with uh, solar subsidies and wind subsidies. So basically they say these things are good because they're taking us in the direction of 100. And then somebody will say what? Well, they'll say, well, those solar subsidies, they don't work. Or they, you know, they're bailing out corrupt companies like Solyndra in some way. Or, you know, those wind subsidies, those are killing you know, too many uh, bats. Or you know, Cortez is stupid, like her policy will never work. So what's the best case scenario in this situation? So they're arguing to 100, and what do you do? You argue them back to zero. So these are just forms, these are just the two forms of arguing to zero. So what's happening is that when you accept your opponent's definition of good and evil, you're put in this very, you're put in this position of arguing to zero. And one key aspect of this is that usually when people are arguing to zero, they're accepting the framework because they think it's practical to accept the framework, even though they don't agree with it. They don't agree. When I ask, I've asked almost everyone, hey, would you really agree that the ideal is green energy? Is that the way you think of it, or that the evil is more fossil fuels? I don't think I've ever met anyone in the hydrocarbon industry who really believed that or thought that made total sense. But I've seen a lot of companies who just totally concede that. 
and they think it's practical, but part of what I'm trying to show is it's not practical because the person who frames the debate wins the debate, and you get put in this very limited position. And of course, you can never fully argue to zero. So you're always being pushed in the evil direction, and the other side is always being pushed in the good direction. And then your position amounts, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the dy dynamics later as we talk about, I think, what should be done. So this amounts to, the, the way I think of it is, they are saying you're evil, and they are saying we're good, and you're basically saying, well, no, we're a necessary evil. We're a temporarily necessary evil. And what does that mean if you're arguing to zero? What you're arguing to zero is you're basically saying, well, unfortunately, 100 is impossible. We, we acknowledge this is the good thing, but we can't do the good thing, but you're exaggerating about how evil we are. So you know our evilness has been overstated, and we're trying as best we can, but really, the good is not possible. And we're less evil than people think. Now, is it any surprise that this does not inspire people or give credibility? And when I asked the question earlier about negative 5 to 5, most people gave examples, you know, 1, 0, negative 1. Well, to the extent the industry is arguing to 0, it makes sense that its results are going to be nothing or worse than nothing. And then to the extent that it's having success, and in some ways there are a lot of good things being done, I would argue what's happening is arguing to 100. So the idea today is not nobody is ever arguing to 100. It's the idea of this is the framework that when things are working, this is being used, but it's possible to use it 10 times more. So then, okay, arguing to zero is a failed strategy. How do we stop doing it? So I'm going to walk you through the basic steps. And then I should say, um, if you, um, if you put your email on our list, I will uh, make sure to have a checklist of all of this so that you can have this, whether you're, you're thinking of your own communication or your companies, so that you can retain all of this. Um, but I'll also just try to make it pretty retainable as I explain it. So how do you, how do you redefine good and evil? This is, this is step one. Now, I don't... Is, what's important here is I don't think of myself primarily as a persuasion person because when people talk about persuasion, they often don't talk about what's true. And my belief is if, you, if you're right and you really want to be persuasive, the first thing to do is think about what's true and why. So I say the first step in, define, in, in reframing the discussion is think for yourself, and I'll share with you my views, what is, what is right? What's the right 100 and what's the wrong 100? Or if there are multiple issues, what are the right 100s and the wrong 100s? And the, the deepest question is, what's the ultimate 100? What's the ultimate good? And then what's the ultimate bad? Well, my answer, you probably aren't too surprised, is my 100 is what I call maximum human flourishing. And then negative 100 is maximum human suffering. So human flourishing, you can use different terms like human benefit or human well-being. I like, I like flourishing because flourishing for an organism means an organism living to its highest potential. So human flourishing means human beings living to their highest potential. So that includes having a good environment and being safe from climate and having a lot of uh, abundance, having prosperity, having safety, having security. It tries to capture human life going well as a whole. And then... So that, that's, what I, that's what I think of as, as 100. And I think most people think this way. When I, when I introduce this to most people, they will agree with this. Not everyone, but most people will agree with it. And they'll agree that negative 100 is maximum human suffering. But it's important that most people don't think of it 
this way, and they certainly don't frame discussions this way. Now, I want to make a big distinction, and this is really key for energy, which is that maximizing human flourishing has nothing to do with being green or renewable. Uh, and it, the, I really want to stress that. It has to do with having a good environment, but that is not the same thing as being green or renewable. So being green means minimal human impact, minimizing our impact on nature. And if we're told that that's the goal, we want a society that minimizes its impact on nature, we should take seriously that goal and see whether we agree with it or not. So I like to, I like to test things and, and use examples. So I want to run this, this, uh, this framework through a couple of examples. So if we wanted to be green, if we wanted to minimize our impact, should we have done what this picture shows, which is we transformed a patch of dirt and trees in the Northeast United States into New York City. Was that a green thing to do? Would, if Greenpeace had been around, would it have given thumbs up or thumbs down to making New York City? Thumbs down. Okay, well, and Denver for that matter, and anywhere, any civilized place. Well, what about, what about having kids? So I don't have any kids myself, but I'm one of four. And so my parents chose to self-replicate not one, but four times. So they chose three times, and then the last were twins. But was, were those green choices? Like... If you want to minimize your impact on the planet, should you self-replicate one or more times? No, that's the worst thing you could possibly do, because if the goal is to minimize human impact, what worse could you do than make another human that's going to have impact, and then they can make another human? You would have a much lower footprint just living out of a running Hummer all the time, but having no kids. <laughs> that's really true. You could do the math on that. So. There's a, an incompatibility between this idea of being green and having kids, which I assume is important to a bunch of people in this room. Now, often you might think, oh, well, Alex, you're just being extreme. We need to be a little bit green because don't we need to care about environment? But I already said environment is part of human flourishing, but I don't believe that has anything to do with being green or minimizing impact. And I'll give you an illustration. Which one of these countries is greener? Which one has less of an impact on nature? Well, North Korea has almost no impact on nature. It's like only Kim's home is the only thing you can see <laughs> that, has, that has light. Like that country is the ultimate hero for the environment, right? It's, it's like they're doing almost nothing. And South Korea is having this massive impact, all this light pollution. But so the, North Korea is this heroic green country. But how good is its environment? Like, which has a better environment? Which has better air quality, water quality, sanitation? North Korea or South Korea? South Korea. So the country that's much less green has a much better environment, and the country that's completely green, almost, has a horrible environment. So what is going on here? What's going on here is the idea of minimal human impact is a bad idea. It's not a pro-human idea because human beings survive by having impact on nature. That's how we produce things. And that's also what we need to do to take nature, which is very hostile to us many times, and to make it safe for human beings. So I'll often say human beings don't take a safe climate and make it dangerous. We take a dangerous climate and make it safe. We don't take a, a clean environment and make it dirty. We take a dirty environment and make it far cleaner. Now, of course, there are things that we can do to make the environment dirty 
as we're cleaning it, as we're improving it, and we want to minimize those. So the, the key is if you're pro-human flourishing, you want to minimize your negative impacts, but you want to maximize your positive impact. So it's a terrible way to think of life to say, I want to minimize my impact. And if you, if you agree that the goal is to minimize impact, then you're always going to have hostility toward everything industrial. And isn't this what we see in Colorado? That there's just, every, every time you're trying to actually build something, it's considered guilty until proven innocent because of this whole green framework. Whereas on a human flourishing framework, you can say, no, we're creating a better life for people. We're making the planet a better place to live. So the ultimate 100 is human flourishing versus human suffering. Now, a key aspect of this, and this is going to be really important for persuasion, is that there are many, many other 100s that come under human flourishing. So human flourishing includes prosperity. It includes opportunity. It includes health. It includes environmental quality. It includes climate safety. It includes the future. Basically, we're trying to find the best combination of all of these at a given time. And you can never get everything perfect, but you can improve them a lot over time. And my view of hydrocarbons is those, they generally make all of these things way, way better. So when I'm, when I'm thinking of communications, because I believe that human flourishing is the highest thing and I'll only support things that are pro-human flourishing, and because human flourishing includes all of those other things, I, this, this is a really key principle um, for thinking about all communication, is I always want to own every value issue. So if there's some important issue of value, like health or environmental quality or something like that, I want to own that issue because I care about that issue. So it shouldn't be that somebody, if I think something is good for human life, then I shouldn't be on the defensive. And one of the things, uh, the, the things I noticed with the Colorado discussion, when people would come to me, people from the industry, they'd often say, you know, I'm frustrated because I feel like we're talking about jobs and taxes, and they're talking about health. And the health is really resonating with people. And if, if, if the policy, if the way you're thinking of it or arguing it, if your policy seems like it's at the expense of health, something is, is really off. And I'll give an example later of how I, I would argue about shale energy and fracking and health and why it's positive for health overall. So um, the highest 100 is human flourishing, but then just as important, there's, there's a 100 on every value issue. So in every value issue, you should think about what is 100? What am I for? And what am I against? And I'm going to show you some examples here. And sometimes I'll point out that often the green way of thinking about these is, is not a pro-human way. So with each of these, I word it in a specific way to show the pro-human perspective. So for example, in energy, when I, one of my 100s in energy is I want energy that's cheap, plentiful, reliable, and safe. And I want to avoid energy that's, that's expensive, scarce, unreliable, and unsafe. So when I'm arguing with someone, I'll show, hey, this policy brings us toward the good energy, toward the best energy, and away from the worst energy, or no energy, which is really the worst energy. Um, or if I'm in Colorado, I'll t I might frame a discussion in terms of Colorado progress versus Colorado decline and talk about how this is promoting Colorado progress. Or I might talk about how this is promoting healthy air versus unhealthy air. Now, note healthy air versus unhealthy air. Now notice I put it in terms of healthy, not no emissions or something like that. The green way of thinking about everything as no emissions is the ideal. Like no human effect is the ideal, and then huge human effect is the wrong thing. But with air quality, I don't know that no emissions is the ideal. There are levels of emissions that are trivial. Um, so I just, it's what I want is I want healthy air quality. So that's, that's a distinction. Well, and 
more broadly, I don't just want healthy air, I want health in general. So I want to argue, well, my policy is leading toward healthy Coloradans versus unhealthy Coloradans. Or my policy is leading toward secure energy, not insecure energy. Or my policy is leading toward abundant job opportunities versus mass employment. Or it's leading for prosper to prosperity versus poverty. Or here's one that I really care about, climate safety versus climate danger. People will often have it as climate, no climate change is the ideal and climate change is the evil. That doesn't make sense for a whole bunch of reasons, including there's no such thing as no climate change. But really, we're not after an unchanged climate or even a climate untouched by humans. We want a safe climate. And that's something, if, if that's the goal, then we can show how energy is really crucial to taking the naturally dangerous climate and making it safe. But if we agree that, that zero change is the ideal, then anything, any, anyone that does anything will always be on the defensive, because anyone that does anything is always going to make some sort of change. The way I see this coming up, uh, this is, there's a really big opportunity with the, the framing, because if you, can, if you can own the issues like environment and health and show that what you're doing is promoting those, and if you have a broader narrative about human well-being or human flourishing and Colorado progress, if you have that and you own those value issues, the value issues that the other side is trying to own, then you can really own the value issues like jobs and, um, and all of the end and even the, the kind of taxation issues. But there are all these different human value issues that the Green Movement is deeply indifferent to. And, and in my experience, it's very possible to point out that this is a very cruel movement that's very indifferent to human welfare. But you can't point that out if you allow them to own health and environment, because then it just seems like, well, they really care about these human considerations and you don't. But if you can show, no, their concern for health and environment is just they don't want us to do anything. They don't want anything built. They're kind of against any kind of building. Then you can show, no, we believe you know, we're builders and they're blockers. And what we're doing is we're making every aspect of life better. So when I, people often think they hear like, I live in Laguna Beach or I've lived in San Francisco. They often think that, oh, your life must be so hard talking to people. But I actually feel like, I feel like I have Amazon when I talk about hydrocarbons. Because my view of hydrocarbons is these are making everything better. So I feel like I have something for everyone. So if you care about health, if you care about safety of climate, if you care about environmental quality, if you care about opportunity, policies that liberate hydrocarbons in a responsible way are going to make all of those better. So when we're, when we're talking about um, any kind of issue, just a good checklist question to have in your mind is what are the 100s and what are the negative 100s? And then be aware, is this being framed by my opponents? Is this being framed in a way that I disagree with? So next step is then how do you argue superiority? So first thing is, again, think for ourselves. First thing is always what's true. It's not how do I persuade other people, but what do I deeply believe to be true? What will convince me? Because if it convinces me and I'm really being honest about it, not just, oh, I work in the industry, but what's really true, then there's a good chance of it convincing other people. I really disagree with the practice of when people are like, They'll ask, often a lot of the people I see sometimes advising the industry on persuasion are people who don't even think the industry is good. So they're like, oh, here's what you should say to dupe all these people. But I'll say, like, you haven't even convinced yourself. How are you going to convince someone else? So first thing is convince yourself. And 
there should always be an idea of what the best policy is. When something like Proposition 112 comes up, there's a lot of reactivity to it. So there's, oh, this is bad, we're against it. But if you're thinking actively about human flourishing, you should have your own policy. And one thing that's a big thing to think about in the next election is, what policy can we have that's inspiring that really leads to Colorado progress that we can proactively promote instead of just reacting to what the other side comes up with. Because if you're just reacting, that's always arguing to zero, and people just think, oh, you're just resisting any change. You don't have your own thing. You just want the status quo. So a couple of aspects of arguing that, you're, that your policy is superior. One is just being rigorous. And this is a big thing I saw with 112. If you're arguing that, hey, our policy is the best, theirs is the worst, ours advances life, theirs holds life back, you have to really know in detail that. And I think the, um, when I looked at a lot of the resources, I felt like there weren't, on 112, there weren't nearly enough rigorous resources backing up the right high-level messaging. And if you look at the debate, for instance, we did, um, Don, who's with me uh, today, I'll point him out at the end, but uh, the, like, this is what the pro-112 side said, and it just seems so rigorous. And then when you go on to one of the major websites, um, like anti-112, it's just very, very sparse in addressing these things. And one of my beliefs about messaging, and one thing I work on for myself and for others, is that you should have what I call master messaging, which is you should figure out in advance what are, what are the issues that are guaranteed to come up 90% of the time, and then what do we want to say about them, and what do we want to help other people say about them. Another key aspect of arguing to 100 is what I call superiorizing the benefits. Notice that when Martin Luther King argues, or Steve Jobs argues, or Donald Trump argues, or any business argues that for its product, it's arguing our product is better than the opponent's. And yet, how often does the hydrocarbon industry argue our product is better than the opponent's? One of the things that I did early on when I got fascinated by oil that really worked, that, that affected people in a way nothing else had, is I just explained to people how cool oil was, like all of the things that it did, and in particular the issue of energy density and how it had these unique attributes. And I, at one point, started calling it vitamin O. And people would think, yeah, wow, that thing is so cool. It helps life in all these ways. So I saw oil from the beginning, or liquid hydrocarbon, as this very exciting, life-enhancing product. Not just that you have technologies that make it less dirty, but that it itself is this amazing product. And that won a lot of people over because then they said, oh, wow, there are benefits to this. So maybe I should support it even if I think there are drawbacks. But if we just say, oh, if they're, they're just necessary, well, if we just have something that's necessary and people are concerned about the drawbacks, then they should just, then they should just use the other thing. So superiorizing, uh, which is a made-up word, but I think a useful one, is really important. So here's just a quick uh, example. I just want to run through these pretty quickly because I have a little bit of time for questions at the end. It's saying that our policy is better, their policy is worse. Now, a key aspect of, another key aspect of arguing to 100 is how you deal with risk. And there is a technique that I think is really important called normalizing. And the, 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 the way to understand it is the way that people usually deal with the risks of your industry is what I would call alienizing. So they act like if there's noise from one of your operations, there was never any noise in the world until you came along, right? Or there were never any VOCs until you came along. And so what people feel like is there's this alien invasion and we are at risk. 
and then the other side is risk-free. And so what normalizing means is it's, it's acknowledging certain risks, but it's showing that they are very normal and we already, they are things that they accept just as much or more of in other realms. So this is one, um, in an article I wrote about 112, you know, this is like dealing with it on VOCs. Uh, this is with um, dealing with, you know, safety for groundwater. We're talking about it's one of the world's safest industrial practice for groundwater. No, and if I say safer than normal oil and gas production, far safer than solar and battery mining, then somebody, instead of being worried about fracking, they start to worry about the other things, and they realize, oh, I wasn't even worried about the other things, so why would we worry about something that's less than those? So this combination of superiorizing and normalizing, this isn't something I invented. Everyone does this in every field. It's just in hydrocarbons, people usually don't do it. Another aspect of arguing to 100 is how do you, how do you even get people to look at when you're saying your benefits are higher, your risks are lower, and because there's a lot of bias. But what I found with bias is it's actually pretty easy to overcome a lot of bias. You just have to get people to agree not to be biased. And the way I do this positively, here are some examples, but I'll, it amounts to this. I'll just say, would you agree that, hey, every policy has pros and cons. Would you agree that we have to look at both the pros and cons of each policy or both the pros and cons of each energy source? So we're not just going to look at the pros of solar and the negatives of gas. And guess what? Everyone will always say yes when I say that, and their thinking will be a lot better. But if I don't frame it that way, then they will just look at the pros of solar and the negatives of gas. There's a lot of power to the, the framing. So to summarize, arguing to 100 is arguing that your policy or your course of action is the best way of achieving an inspiring good and avoiding a dreadful evil. And the key aspects of that are you have to define 100, negative 100, based on what you believe is true. And then you have to argue that your policy is superior, using things like being rigorous, superiorizing, normalizing, and making sure that you actually have a positive policy. So what, what comes next? Well, I'm going to get to talk to some of you later today about different kinds of strategic things. But here are some things that I think apply to everybody. One is that we're going to provide a checklist and support materials. And what this, what this will provide you, I think, is two big things. So one is that you will be able to build your own material. I think of if you want to, you don't have to engage with people, by the way. You can be incredibly effective just by sharing other people's materials. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But if you do want to engage, it's good to think of it almost like you're a comedian. Like you have material on a whole bunch of different issues. And that has to be really uh, natural to you. So if what I'm hoping with these guidelines, plus some of the content I can share, plus a lot of the facts you already have access to, because there's a lot of great materials. You, with this framework, this can help you build material in a way that you feel much more natural. And some of the resources I'm going to send are also about how to have one-on-one -on -one conversations in particular, which is just another way of doing arguing to 100. And then the other thing is, and this particularly applies to those of you who are more in communications, if you're involved at all proactively with what's happening going forward um, in terms of the industry, the, the model I have, which may be useful, is I, I think of what needs to exist, and the earlier the better, so we have a lot of opportunity, is what I call master messaging that uses arguing to 100. So that basically means for all the issues that we know are going to come up, including having positive policies of our own, let's work out the arguing to 100 so that everyone can have access to it, so that employees can have access to it, 
so that lobbyists can have access to it, so executives can have access to it, so politicians can have access to it. Because if you have really, really good messaging that's developed in the right way, including tested in the right way, but that does this arguing to 100, it's going to be a lot easier to get allies, and those allies will be more effective. Whereas if you don't have that really good master messaging, it's going to, get, it's going to be a lot harder to have allies. And those allies, they'll be really uncomfortable. So I believe that there's a way of building all of this out that is that is really, really effective and that can empower everybody. But it's the kind of thing that it's good to start soon with. So this arguing to 100, above all, I, I hope that people are interested in doing that and that's something I could potentially help with. But in any case, whatever you do, I believe that these, from everything I've seen, these principles are the ones that should be followed. So again, I want to see employees arguing to 100, lobbyists arguing to 100, executives arguing to 100, politicians arguing to 100. Um, and I hope you do as well. So thank you very much for having me. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed my Arguing to 100 speech that I gave in Colorado. Again, if you want any of the resources I mentioned, just email me at alex at industrialprogress.net with the subject PH resources. And if you work for an organization or you have an organization that's interested in getting our help with messaging, you can just email me, same address, alex at industrialprogress.net with the subject, argue to 100. Okay, that's it for this week's Power Hour. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can email us. I'm at alex at industrialprogress.net. Don is at don at industrialprogress.net. And Stefan is S-T-E-F-F-E-N at industrialprogress.net. Next week, we'll be back in our normal format. Um, covering. There's tons and tons of issues uh, to cover, so I'm looking forward to getting back to that. Otherwise, hope everyone has a great week. Until next time, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.